as the deer pants for the stream of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When I, can I go and meet with God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How we used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one. With shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior, my God. By day the Lord directs his love. At night his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Well, good morning, church. Would you join us as we sing who we are in Christ? We sing it out.
Yes, church, our God is mighty, and he is with us. He is with us today. We know that as a nation, we have been going through hard moments and moments of tension, and our hearts have felt a whole lot of different emotions from rage to disappointment to uncertainty to fear to hope. And this morning, we want to hear the voice of God speaking to us. And we want to take a time to pray. So this morning, Pastor Kyle is going to lead us in a prayer of lament. But before that, listen to what God's word says. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Listen, the Lord is calling to the city and to fear your name is wisdom. Well, church family, I want to lead us this morning in a time of lament, in a prayer of lament. And uh, this is a biblical tradition. So throughout God's word and the history of God's people, prayers of lament are, are crying out. It's a deep cry out, whether it's um, despair or hopelessness or overwhelm or uncertainty. It is a discipline. It is a tradition to cry out to the Lord because it, it actually is something that God uses to reset hearts and minds on him um, in hope. And so what I want to lead us in this morning is a prayer of lament. Would you pray with me? Lord, as we lament this morning, as we cry out to you, we do ask, Lord, for a reminder of your hope. Father, we do, we read in your holy word, we look back at history, we look around us today, inside of us today, and we see, Father, that time and time again, we fall short of your perfection, of your holiness, of what you would have. Father, we fall short. But God, we cry out to you in hope. Father, because you have promised and you sent your son, Jesus, as a reminder that time and time again when your people fall short, you continue to shower humanity with your grace. And so this morning, Lord, we lament, we cry out. We cry out for brothers and sisters in our church families, communities for the world. Lord, that when you have commanded us to love our neighbors as ourselves, Father, we can so often treat our neighbors as someone other than ourselves. We lament that your people, that we can so often approach one another, approach a world looking on with a pointed finger instead of open arms, Lord. We cry out to you for the painful division that that has caused in the world, and we pray in hope, Father, that your love and your grace can heal division. And we lament and we cry out, Lord, we grieve the deaths, the murders of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, and too many others. We pray for a holy discomfort that moves us towards speaking 
and taking action against the oppression of black brothers and sisters. We pray in hope for your guidance, Lord, in a necessary journey of humility, listening, learning, and courage. And we lament, Lord, we lament and cry out with protesters to share a voice, to speak, to stand in solidarity against sin in the world, to call out injustice and point to the God of justice. Father, to call out boldly against oppression because that points to you who is a God who offers freedom. To call out racism, Father, to point to you, our creative, beautiful, and global God to call out murder and point to the God of abundant life, to point to God, to seek voices that need to be heard, to find people willing to listen, Father, and ultimately to call out sin in the world because it calls out, cries out to you, a God who has forgiven more than we can ever imagine. And we lament, Lord, gatherings that have turned to violence in our nation and world. And we cry out, seeing and in response to so much violence, that when violence is met with more violence and with violence and violence and violence and it goes on and on and the violence in our hearts rear up in response as well, Father. We ask for your help. We ask for your protection and peace. We ask that you bring protection and peace to the hearts and minds of all who gather and protest and to the hearts and minds of all of our police and leaders, Lord. We hope in you. When it seems that peace isn't possible, Father, we can despair in thinking that you have forsaken us. Father, we hope for the peace that your presence brings. Father, that as we look on, as the world looks on, that peace and reconciliation would leave everyone in awe. We pray to you, Lord. And we lament and cry out for every family among every oppressed people and household and person that has experienced and lived through Systemic injustice, violence, oppression, and racism. Searching for a way forward, feeling the depths of despair that transformation can't or won't come, Father. For everyone who is grappling with how to move forward, how to seek peace, how to be an agent of restoration, how to seek you and point others to you, we know, Lord, that without you, despair will define. Despair will sink in. And therefore, any opportunity to learn the deep lessons that need to be learned will be impossible. But with you, Lord, we cry out to you because with you, these conversations and steps forward remain extremely hard, but you can grow them into being truthful and constructive. Please do not leave us on our own, Lord. Do not leave us in silence. Father, speak through the voices who need to speak and silence the voices that don't. And as we all look on and cry out to you, Father, struggling with the words to say, sometimes offering words out of anger or hopelessness or despair, or the violence that rises up in our own hearts, Father. Father, would you speak with your voice above all others? And we know our leaders looking on have the same struggle, Father. In their search for the right words to say, the right things to do to seek healing, Father, may they seek you and your healing wisdom. So, Lord, in Jesus, you sent your restoration of the world. You sent Jesus, who was your perfect reminder that things were not always broken and that they won't remain broken. We need you, Lord. We cry out for you today. And Lord, we hope in you. Amen. Yes, our hope is in you, Lord. Our hope is in you.
I count on one thing The same God never fails Will not fail me now You won't fail me now And when the waiting The same God who's never late Is working all things out You're working all things out Yes, I lift you high in the lowest valley. Yes, I will bless your name. Oh, yes, I will sing for joy when my heart is heavy all my days. Yes, I never fails will not fail me now you won't fail me now and in the waiting same God who's never late is working all things out you're working all things out oh yes I will lift you high in the lowest valley yes I My name is Hannibal Rodriguez, one of the teaching pastors here at church, and I wanted to welcome you. If you're not familiar with our church, I, I wanted you to know that we have these, one of our core values as a church is that we believe in the power of prayer. 
If you are part of our church already, you know that we believe that the that we believe that the Bible says that God has the power to change things, to change people, to change circumstances, and that he uses our prayers to accomplish that. Therefore, I want to invite you today that if you need prayer from us, please let us know. You can text the word prayer to 630-260-1600, and I could guarantee you that someone from our staff if maybe, maybe the entire staff, we, because we gather every week to pray for your needs, someone is going to pray for you. So please let us know. Today's a special day, not just because we get to gather um, virtually and we get to worship the Lord and be exposed to his word. But today is a special day because we, I want to introduce to you uh, one of our newest members. His name is Eric Solomon, which is um, the new pastor for a Streamwood location, in, uh, a tri-village. And brother, it's so nice to have you here. So nice to have you as part of the team. Um, but I'm interested that our church gets to know you a little bit better today. So how about if you tell us a little bit about yourself and your family and all of that stuff? Yeah. Well, first of all, it is really good to be here with you and, and to, to be able to kind of show my face to the entire church, Wheaton Bible Church, and especially the Streamwood campus. Uh, I, to start with, i born and raised in Miami, Florida. Uh, my father's Cuban and my mother's Dominican, which means there's a whole lot of Caribbean blood flowing through me. Uh, Jesus uh, saved me when I started high school, uh, but he had already started working way back when I was entering junior high uh, when he saved my parents and their marriage. You see, I, I was raised Catholic um, and their marriage was on the rocks and Jesus restored their marriage, brought them to salvation, uh, in, uh, introduced me to who he was, uh, but it wasn't until high school that, that he really grabbed hold of my heart. Uh, I went to undergrad at Taylor University, uh, and then I went to uh, seminary at Grand Rapids Theological Seminary where I got my MDiv. Uh, I actually met my wife Jocelyn at Taylor University, and, and this month we'll actually be celebrating seven years of marriage. Oh, wow. um, and we've got two uh, amazing, active, and fearless girls, uh, Lucia, who's three years old, and Liliana, who's one. Uh, it's been kind of a, a crazy journey from Miami all the way to Chicago land, but the Lord has been incredibly faithful all the way through. Well, congratulations on that. Uh, I already know your wife, and I've seen your babies already. I'm so glad that they're part of the church family as well. Now, I think it's important that people not just know about your history and who you are and your family, but I also think that it's important that the church knows a little bit about your passions, man, because you being uh, all these Latino mix inside, <laughs> you are a man of passions. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, well, uh, to start with, I'm, I'm passionate about the local church. Period. Uh, God has made it abundantly clear in his word that the church is the primary way in which he, he acts and moves within the world. And so I'm passionate, therefore, about becoming and helping others become conduits uh, of God's spirit uh, in these uh, outposts of new creation life that we call the local church to, to help people through the preaching of the gospel and transformation of people and communities come to know the love of Jesus. So I'm passionate about serving as a, a shepherd under the ultimate shepherd, Jesus, to equip the people of God to participate in the work of God for the glory of God and the good of his creation. The last thing I'll say is that I'm also passionate about being part of a multi-ethnic church. God has already told us in Revelation what his people are going to look like uh, from every race, skin color, every language proclaiming the glory of God. And so I want to be part of that here and now. We don't have to wait until then Amen. for that to be true. Amen to that. So. All right. So I'm assuming that you have some, just as much as you have passions, you have some core oh, convictions. 
Um, I also think that that's important. Tell us about what are some of your core convictions as an individual and as a pastor. Yeah, yeah. So I'll start with where uh, we get uh, to know God through his word. So I, I really believe that the Bible is the word of God. I also really believe that the, the spirit of God is at work amongst his people. He empowers believers to live out the Christian life. So if I believe the Bible is the word of God and I believe the spirit is at work amongst his people, that, that means that I believe, uh, I'm trying to take God at his word. Uh, so for example, I, like you said earlier, I, I really believe that prayer matters. Uh, I really believe that God works through prayer and prayer is one of the most important things that we can do. Uh, I'm also a, a firm believer that we are a sent community. We're a community on mission. God sends us and we send people um, from the church. And so I, I want to be part of that and part of um, shaping that. Um, the, the beautiful thing about being a sent community is that if we really believe the Bible is the word of God and we really believe that God's spirit empowers belief, Believers, then, then how can we keep the, the, the proclamation of the gospel to ourselves, right? It, 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 it makes no sense. And so I, I'm, I'm a firm believer in being part of that same community. And then as I already mentioned, one of my core convictions is being part of that multi-ethnic church participating in and fighting for and, and seeking to be here and now what God has already said is going to happen at the end of all time. And so I'm passionate about that, but it's also one of the, the deep convictions that awesome. fuels me. Awesome. How can we pray for you, brother? Because I know these are seasons, difficult seasons. So you're trying yeah. to shepherd people yeah. that you're just getting to know, people that will, most likely you're not going to get to see face to face for a while. Yeah. Uh, give us two or three things that we could pray for you. Yeah, so that's one of the big things and trying to get to know people and love and care for people um, in this space, in this time, trying to be creative in those ways. It would be uh, amazing to be uh, for you guys to pray for, for me and for our family. We have a lot of transitions, not just a new role, but, but going into a new house, moving into a new community. And so we have these transitions, and, but we want to stay on mission as we're doing that so that, that we might be aware and creative about the ways in which God is calling us to, to be faithful to him. Cool, man. So nice to have you here. Yeah, we love you, and we're going to love you even more as time goes by. Awesome. Now, church, I, uh, I, I want to tell you that I, that I believe that this is one of the reasons why, uh, as a church, we believe in generosity. It, it, is believe, it is because we believe that the church is the hope of the world. It is because we believe that we have a, a mission here. It is because uh, we believe that we are here to proclaim the gospel, to demonstrate the power of the gospel. And, and this is part of the reason why we opened this uh, location in Streamwood, because we believe that we have a mission. Um, and we're so thankful for all of you that are already part of the church that continually support the church financially. And I want to encourage you to please continue to do that. And maybe, maybe if you're part of the church and you, you have not done uh, this before, I, I, I want to invite you to participate. The Lord is using your finances for your glory, the joy of his people, and the salvation of the lost. So please pray for us. Pray for Streamwood. Pray for your generosity. Pray for the church. If you want to um, be a, uh, become a, a regular uh, financial uh, sustainer of the church, I, I want to invite you to either visit our webpage, wittenbible.org, uh, slash give, or you could text uh, to 77977. Uh, and if none of those things work for you, maybe you could just send uh, whatever you, the Lord is putting in your heart to support the church financially directly to the church. With that then, uh, let me pray for the preaching of God's word before um, we start this morning. Lord, we want to thank you for your word. We want to thank you, Lord, because we get to worship you. 
We want to thank you, Lord, because you are good and you are faithful. And we want to thank you, Lord, because uh, we, we get to uh, lament before you and we get to praise you and we get to dream about what is yet to come and we get to uh, participate and contribute uh, to the kingdom through the things that we do and through our finances. And now, Lord, I know that the only way our lives can be transformed so we become people like that is when we pay attention to your word and your word transform our hearts. Please speak to us this morning. Please, by the power of the Spirit, illuminate our minds and give us understanding and allow us to repent if that's what is needed. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And we all say at home, amen. So once again, my name is Hannibal Rodriguez. One of the teaching pastors here. And if you're part of the church already, I want to, as always, I want to say the same thing. We miss you. We love you. We're praying for you. If you are tuning in for the first time, I just want you to know that we are here to love you and serve you. If there's anything we can do for you, please let us know. So for the last few weeks, we have been going um, through a series that we have called Wisdom uh, for Life, in which we are exploring and learning from different sections of the book of Proverbs and, and, and what it means to live a life full of wisdom. Now, if, if you don't understand what the word wisdom means in light of the Bible, um, le, le, let me explain it this way. Wisdom is that thing that is necessary for us to make decisions about life, for us to live a healthy spiritual life um, in everything we do. Now, one of the ways that in which I was exploring this concept uh, in preparation for my sermon is to look for synonyms that describe what wisdom is. So, for example, one of the synonyms for the word wisdom is insight or perception or prudence or sagacity or discernment. So, basically, what the book of Proverbs is Proverbs is teaching us that in order for us to make the right decisions in life, in order for us to live spiritually healthy lives, we need insight and perception, prudence, sagacity, and discernment. Therefore, we need wisdom. And what we're going to learn today and what we're going to see today is that the number one thing you all need and I need in order for me to live a life of wisdom is to learn how to guard my heart. That we need to learn how to guard our hearts. In other words, without guarding our hearts, there is no wisdom. And to explore this topic and learn about this topic, we're going to look into Proverbs chapter 4. And we're going to be reading verses 20 to 27. So if you have your Bible be, uh, with you, Please go there, and if you don't, don't worry. We're going to put the, the verses on the screen for you. Proverbs chapter 4, verses 20 to 27. Let's start in verse 20. My son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those to, uh, who find them and health to, to one's whole body. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Keep your mouth free of perversity. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to the paths uh, for your feet. And be steadfast in all your ways. Verse 27. Do not turn to the right 
or the left. Keep your foot from evil. This is the word of the Lord. Allow me to pray really quick. Lord, we pray that you illuminate our minds, that you use your word this morning. In the name of Jesus, we pray. So this is the concept, learning how to guard our hearts. And I'm asking three questions to the text this morning. I'm asking, why is it that we should learn how to guard our hearts? How do we learn to do this? And who is capable or who can actually learn to do this? Why do it? How to do it? And who can do it? Let's go with the first question. Um, why do it? If you remember, right at the beginning of the text we just read, the writer of the book of Proverbs is calling us to pay attention to the word of God. And in verse 21 at the beginning, it says that we ought to keep these words in front of us all the time. That we shouldn't let these words get out of our sight. And if you notice, this is an invitation. It's an exhortation to treat the word of God as the word of God. Why? Because the word of God is what shapes our character. Because it is the word of God that dictates how we live. Because it is the word of God that dictates what we love and what we don't love. It is all about the word of God. What is interesting, though, is that if you pay attention, close attention to the text, you will notice that it seems like if the writer is calling us to obedience, but that's not what the text says. This text is not calling us to simply obey the word of God. And I'm going to explain in a second later on that there's nothing wrong with that, that actually we have to do that. But the text is calling us to something much bigger, more important than simply obeying the word of God. Actually, if you notice, the second part of verse 21 says that the reason why we should do these, these things, um, what we should do in terms of the word of God is to keep this word within our hearts. Listen, not just to obey the word of God, not just to look at the regulations of the word of God, not just look at the demands of the word of God, but actually to take this word and internalize them in such a way that they are within our hearts. And someone may ask, what is the difference, Hannibal? What is the difference between obedience and having the word of God within our hearts? And I think that the, way, that the only way that we can understand this is when we, we actually understand what the Bible means when it talks about our hearts. See, in modern culture, when people talk about our hearts um, or the heart, we usually uh, talk about the heart in terms of the place where we have our emotions, that's what we say, you know, I feel this in my heart. Um, and modern culture, and I think that this is a Greek influence, by the way, uh, we divide our emotions from our will. And we will say that there's, with a, cert, a, cert, a certain part of our heart or a certain part of ourselves, we have emotions, and there are other parts that have to do with our will. And usually they relate it uh, to the mind. So your mind affects your will, your heart affects your emotions. But what I want to invite you to consider today, that that's not the definition of the word heart in the Bible. Actually, the Bible makes it extremely clear, and I'll prove it to you, that it is in your heart when you find what you, your, where you find your deepest trust. In other words, if you want to know what you really trust, you got to pay attention to your heart. It is in your heart when you find your deepest commitments. It is in your heart when you find what you truly love. It is in your heart where, yes, you find your emotions. And it is in your heart, yes, the place where um, 
where, where everything is about you. In other words, it is your heart, the thing that affects your will. Your heart affects your mind. Your heart affects your emotions. Your heart affects your will. Your heart dictates everything about your life. If you want to know who you are, you got to pay attention to your heart. If you want to know what you love, you got to pay attention to your heart. If you want to know really, really, really who you are, you must pay attention to your heart. That's what the Bible means when they talk about, when the writers talk about the heart. This is what we see also in the book of Proverbs, for example. Let me read to you Proverbs 27, verse 19. It says, as water reflects the face, so one's life reflects the heart. Notice that this text is not just an exhortation to obey God's rules and regulations. This text is not just about you modifying your behavior by obeying God's rules and regulations. The main exhortation of the text is to allow the word of God to dwell in your heart in such a way that affects everything of you. That it affects your mind, that it affects your emotions, that it affects your will, that it affects your, your affections. Now, this is the reason why there is this amazing command in verse 23. Above all else, about, about, above all else, guard your heart. You know what that means, right? Before everything else, guard your heart. That your heart is more important than everything else. That what you have in your heart is more important than anything else. That if you could do one thing in life is to learn how to guard your heart. Why? Because everything you are and everything you do flows out of that. For everything you do flows from what you already have in your heart. I believe that this is what Jesus had in mind in a couple of places in the Gospels. In specific, I believe that this is what Jesus had in mind in Mark chapter 7. There's a section in Mark chapter 7 in which Jesus says that it's not the things that go into our body, that the things that defile us, but the things that defile us are the things that come out of our heart. And actually, he says in the text, it is from within that sexual immorality come, that we, that we kill, that we commit adultery, that we have greed, that we have malice and envy and slander. All of these things are coming not from outside of us, but from within us. Everything you do, everything I do comes from within. This is the reason then why Woody Allen and Selena Gomez, modern day theologians, would say the heart wants what the heart wants. In other words, you would always follow your heart and do what your heart wants you to do. Isn't that crazy? That's a profound statement. Everything we do flows from what we already have inside of us. This is the reason why a famous rapper would say, save me from myself and all this conflict because the very thing that I love is killing me and I cannot conquer it. The very things that I love in here, that's the, those are the things that is making my life miserable. You know, when I, when I think about this, I realize that I don't have any excuses to say to my wife, see, you make me upset. 
I have no excuses, no reason why I should tell my wife, you see what you made me do? I could never do that because my, Bible, my, my wife knows the Bible. My wife could always tell me, no, 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 dude, you're doing what you're doing because that's what it's in your heart. Everything that you do is flowing from your heart. And because I also know the Bible, then I got to look at her and say, yeah, you're right. This is the main difference between the religious approach to Christianity and the biblical approach to Christianity. See, the religious approach to Christianity believes that if, if you obey God's rules and if you do what God says you're supposed to do, that will change your heart because this group of people simply believe in behavior modification. In other words, that if you want to change your behavior, you must learn how to follow and obey God's rules. Only follow and obey God's rules. What is interesting, though, is that that is partly true. Our obedience affects our lives and our obedience affects our heart. But this is the main difference between the biblical approach to uh, sanctification, growing into the image of God, and the religious approach uh, to sanctification, just changing behavior. That this group of religious people believe that just because you act different, you are different. And what I want to argue is that sometimes, even though you, be, you, be, be, uh, you behave different, that doesn't mean that your character has changed. Because your character can only change when your heart has changed. See, rules and regulations modify behavior. But it's only your heart what modifies your character. This is the reason why I think that it's extremely dangerous when we say to the people we love, see, if you do this, I'm going to reward you with this. That is trying to modify behavior by rewards. I, I find it extremely dangerous that people will say, well, if you do this or if you don't do this, this is what is going to happen to you. And that is trying to modify behavior by fear. That's why I think that it's extremely dangerous when someone says to another person, if you do this, you will be this. That is trying to modify behavior by pride. I find it extremely dangerous when someone says, well, if you do this, this is what you're going to, this is what you could become. And that is trying to modify behavior by shame. You know what the problem is? That those incentives, quote unquote incentives, only work as long as those, as long as the reward is there, the fear is there, the pride is there, the shame is there. You know what the problem is? That when those incentives are not there, the person goes back to its original design. And nothing changes. I actually believe that this is the reason why so many Christians have walked away. So many people have walked away from Christianity. Even though they grew up in church. Even though they memorized the Bible. Even though they did everything that Christians do. Even though they served and gave money. Because deep down in, inside, they thought that Christianity was simply about behavior modification. If I do this, I'm going to get this. If I do this, I'm going to experience this. If I do this, this is what is going to happen. And what the Bible teaches you is that the only way a person can truly change is when they change is from the inside out. It's internal, not external. 
It's when your heart embraces the word of God, when your affections are transformed by the word of God. It is when your, your emotions and your will is, affect by, is affected by the word of God. It is only when the word of God is within our hearts. This is why we should guard our heart. Because our heart matters. That would be question number one. Question number two is, well, how do we do this? How do we learn to uh, guard our hearts above all? Well, obviously, the answer is in the word guard. It all has to do with our understanding of the word guard. See, I think that in English, uh, the reason why we use the word guard is because we don't have enough uh, words to truly describe in one sentence what this means. And I find this word fascinated in the, fascinating in the original because it, it, it literally means a secret place, like a cave, meaning that our heart is like a secret place. And the word guard actually has two different definitions at the same time. Uh, on one end, it means that we are called to restrain our hearts from the thing within, and at the same time means to protect the heart from things outside. So in, in, in order for somebody to really learn how to guard the heart, you need to do these two things. To guard from things within and to protect from things outside of us. Now this is important for you to keep in mind. Because if that is true, and I believe it is, then the Bible is calling you to two different things. This text, in my opinion, is calling you to two different things in order for you to learn how to guard your heart. Number one, it calls you to practice the spiritual discipline of self-examination. And also, it calls you to recognize and acknowledge that every little decision in life matters. Let me say it again. If this is true, and I believe it is, then the only way that you get to guard your heart is when you practice the spiritual discipline of self-examination and you learn to understand that every single little decision you make in life really affects your heart. Look at with self-examination. I want to read to you a couple of verses from the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 16 verse 2 says this. All a person's ways seem pure to them. But motives are weighted by the Lord. Now look at Proverbs chapter 20, verse 5. The purposes of a person's heart are deep waters, but one who has insight draws them out. You know what that means? The reason why we need to exercise self-examination is because we are all prone to self-deception. See, we, we have a hard time truly seeing who we are. We actually have a hard time admitting the things, what we are, and the things that we struggle with. I don't know if you ever experienced this, but I, I go through this all the time. Whenever I hear like a recording of myself or I see a video of myself, especially when I'm speaking in public, my first reaction is to say, oh, that's not me. I don't sound like that. Actually, sometimes I say, do I? Do I, do I have an accent? <laughs> this is the thing. I don't hear my accent. And this is the thing. I don't think, I don't hear my voice the way my voice actually is. 
And my wife always looks at me and says, that's exactly how you sound. And yes, man, you do have an accent. I learned that last week. All right, so, but this is the idea. We all struggle with the same thing. Self-examination is required because we all struggle with this self-deception. It's a reality for us as human beings. Actually, uh, Blaise Pascal, uh, this, is, this is what he would say in terms of this uh, topic. He would say, the greatest threat to the moral life is neither ignorance of the moral law nor moral weakness, but self-deception. Because, he says, sin or moral wrongdoing is usually a product of self-deceptive moral reasoning in which one recognizes some course of action to be immoral, but persuades oneself that it is moral. You know what that means? That deep down inside, we all struggle with this. That we all know what is right and wrong. But that we reason with ourselves. We question ourselves. We uh, excuse ourselves. And we justify ourselves to turn wrong things into good things. That we convince ourselves in such a way. That even though we know that there are things that are wrong, we say, no, not that wrong. This week I was reading a quote by uh, Tim Keller that actually describes what some people might do. He says that people will say something like this. It is not that I'm proud. It's just that I'm confident. It is not that I'm abrasive. It's just that I'm direct. It is not that I'm greedy. It's just... It's just that I'm sharp in business. Now, as I was doing a self-assessment this week, I realized that for me, I have a huge list. And the people I know actually confirm it because they have the same list. So this is what I learned about me. It is not that I'm angry. It's just that I'm passionate. It's, it's not that I'm stubborn. It's just that I have convictions. It is not that I'm not teachable. It's just that I know what I know. It is not that I struggle with the approval of men. It's just that I don't like rejection. It is not that I'm addicted to power. I just don't like humiliation. It is not that I'm addicted to comfort. It's just that I don't like to suffer. It is not that I'm a control freak. It's just that I don't like uncertainty. And what the Bible would tell you is, no. That's self-deception. Recognize who you are. The only way you grow in wisdom is to recognize who you are. And allow the word of God to be within your heart and expose who you are. This is why self-examination is a must. It's a must. This is not optional. If you're a believer, this is not optional. This is the only way that our character is transformed by the power of the word. Now, that was the first one. The second one, I told you that it has to do with us acknowledging and recognizing that every single little decision in life shapes your heart and shapes your character. 
So from verses 26, 24 to 26 we, 26, we find all these examples. So for example, in 24, it says, um, keep your mouth free uh, from per, uh, of perversity. Keep corrupt talk away from your lips. And this is basically what the author is saying. The things you say, how you say them, and when you say it always affect your heart. It is about these little decisions that you make with your mouth. The little decisions that you make with your word that shapes your character. You find another example in verse 25. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. And what the author is saying here is that the things you see, the things that you gaze at really affects your heart. The little decisions about the things you see really affects your character. Look at verse 26. Give careful thought to the paths of your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Yes, the little decisions about the things you do. Yes, the little decisions about the places you go. Yes, the little decisions about everything that you do in life really shapes and affects your heart. Therefore, shapes and affects your character. See, there's this tendency to think that decisions don't matter. So I, I read this week um, this quote that actually we don't know where it comes from, but it's amazing. It says, sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. Reap a, sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. If you, if you want to understand what I'm talking about, this is exactly what I mean. This is the summary of everything I have said. Our life is shaped by our heart. Therefore, guard your heart. And our heart is shaped by our life. Therefore, protect your heart. It is from within that everything flows. But it is the result of our little decisions that affect who we are what our heart has, and what our character is. Now, and this one, I, I, I want to get a little bit personal, so please forgive me if you feel offended, but the, the more I thought about this, the more I realized that the issue is not that we don't know. Actually, for many of us, the issue is not that, 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 that we don't think that this is important. I actually think that the issue for many of us and maybe I'm just speaking for myself, is that my priority, priorities sometimes are crooked. That there are other things that are more important to me sometimes than guarding my heart. That maybe for you, sometimes there are other things that are more important than guarding your heart. So maybe for you, your career is more important than guarding your heart. That maybe for you, making money is more important than guarding your heart. Maybe for you, it is important that you are recognized by people much more than, than, than guarding your heart. Maybe the approval of people is more important to you than guarding your heart. Maybe for you, the popularity that you may experience is more important than guarding your heart. And this is the crazy thing, that even though we want to be good people and we want to love our spouse and we want to be good parents and we want to be good friends and we want to be good co-workers, the reality is that if we don't guard our heart, we can never love the people that we're supposed to love the way we're supposed to love them. I could never be the, the co-worker that I'm supposed to be. 
I could never be the friend that I'm supposed to be. I could never be the father and the husband that I'm supposed to be. Because everything I do flows from my heart. If I don't learn how to guard my heart, how could I possibly love my wife, my wife well? Everything flows from within. And as a father, and I'm going to speak to you parents, you have the same responsibility. The most important thing you could do for your kids is to guard their hearts. Listen, your call is not to live your life through your kids. Your call is not to try to live the life that you never had through your kids. Nothing wrong that you push your kids into sports. Nothing wrong that you push your kids to have good grades and have a great education. Nothing wrong that you push your kids to do the things that you've never done. Nothing wrong with you finding extracurricular activities for your kids to be busy. Nothing wrong. There's nothing intrinsically wrong with any of that stuff. But what I think is wrong is when you elevate all of that before their heart. It's when you don't take the time to cultivate their heart. Is when you don't take the time to restrain their hearts from the things that are within. And you don't protect their hearts from the things that are without. You know how you know if you struggle with this? The same way I know when I struggle with this. Because prayer for my kids is not as important. That's how you know that I'm struggling. Because maybe the word is not as important. Because maybe bringing them to church is not as important. Maybe sitting at home right now is not as important. Maybe because all the relationships that I have with all the Christians are not as important. This is how I know that priorities are crooked. When I don't pay attention to how I can guard my heart. And I don't pay attention on how I can guard the heart of the people I love. Maybe not your kids. Maybe your spouse. Maybe not your spouse, maybe your, maybe your friends. Maybe not your friends, maybe your co-workers. But this we know. That above all, the most important thing is that you guard your heart. Above all. See, we already answered the question is, why, why, why should we do this? And we answered the question is, uh, the question of how we do this. So the third question we're going to answer here is, who can actually do this? And I want to read to you, again, verses 20 to 21, the beginning of the section uh, we started with. And I want you to pay attention to that section, and then I'm going to ask you a question. Look at what it says. My son, pay attention to what I say. Pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words, God's word. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart. So here's a question. Who has done that? Do you really have the word of God within you? Is it really shaping your character? Are you truly, truly guarding your heart? Are you truly, truly protecting and restraining your heart? This, it's, a, it's an important question that you got to ask. See, when I think that Jesus had this section in mind when he said these things in Matthew chapter 12. Um, because in Matthew chapter 12, let me go there, this is what he says. For the mouth speaks what their heart is full of. 
A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. Now pay attention to this one. But I tell you that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. You know what that means? This is actually a very scary passage. Because it tells you that on judgment day, when we face God face to face, if you will, we will give an account of every word we have said. And if that is true of words, it's it's also true of the things that we've seen. And it's also true of of the actions that we have taken. And it's also true of everything else. You know why? Because it's not just the actions that will bring us into the judgment of God. It's everything that, ha- that we have in our hearts. The reason why Jesus speaks this way is not just because of the actions. It's because those actions point to the need and a struggle on our, and the sin in our hearts. So the question is, who then can be saved? Now, I'm, I'm, I know, I'm sure that you're familiar with uh, Martin Luther. Martin Luther was a, a, a very interesting person in the history of Christianity. See, this was a man that wanted to love the Lord. But he was a man that understood our fallen, sinful nature. So one day, he decided that he wanted to change. So he decided to do three things in order for him to change, to modify his behavior. Number one, he decided to become a monk. Number two, he started to do good things for people. And number three, he practiced a life of confession. Actually, he was so obsessed with confession that he would spend six hours a day confessing for his sins. He would be confessing so and so much that the priest that, w- that was hearing his confession one time said this, and I quote, Martin, it is as if you call every fart a sin. That crazy? This guy was confessing for anything and everything he could think of. Once again, because he believed that God is holy, he believed that he was sinful, and he believed that his behavior had to change. But look at what he says to the father once the father or the priest told him this. Father, the big problem of the human race is self-centeredness. Where do you think that words come from? nationalism, racism, oppression, and violence, where do you think that stuff comes from? Where do you think all this misery of the world comes from? It is from the self-centeredness in the human heart. It is because we are sinful people. And the, and the priest hears this and tells him, yeah, I get that, and I'm glad that you understand this, but don't worry. You are a monk, you are doing good things, and you are confessing your sin. You are okay. But look at what Martin Luther responds. Yes, I do care for the poor. I help the poor. But I've come to realize that I don't help the poor for the sake of the poor. I do it, I do it so I could feel noble. I do it so God will bless me. I'm doing it not for the poor, not for God. I'm doing it for myself. When I come to repent to you, he says, when I come to confess my sins to you, I realize that I'm not doing it for the sake of humility. I like being humble. 
I like of, uh, thinking of myself as a humble person. I am humble. I am noble. But I'm not doing it for the sake of anybody else, and I'm not doing it for the sake of God. I'm doing it for myself. I am caring for the poor, not for the poor's sake, but for my sake. I had left being lusty, and now I am holy and religious, and, and I'm doing it for the wrong reasons because I am curved in. I am addicted. I can change my heart. Can you see what he was saying? There's nothing you could do that will modify be, your behavior with the right motives. It is impossible for a, for a sinful human being to be able to do enough good things to change motives. You know how motives change. The only possible way your motives change, the only possible way you do right things with the right motives is when the word of God is within your heart. And John chapter 1 verse 1 says that that word is Jesus Christ. That is, that dwells and is within your heart. But not just Jesus as a concept. But it's the Jesus that took the judgment. He mentions in, my, in Matthew chapter 12, you and I deserve. It is him going to the cross and taking the penalty of my sin. It is him going to the cross and taking the consequences of every word I've said. It is him going to the cross and taking the consequences of every crooked thought I have had. It is him going to the cross and, and taking the consequence of every wrong decision I have made. It is him going to the cross and, and taking upon himself the consequence of everything that I have allowed into my life and done with my life. The only way your heart changes, the only way the motivation of your heart changes is when that word, Jesus Christ, I'm him crucified, dwells within your heart. The more you treasure him, the more you embrace him, the more you love him, the more you find him amazing and beautiful and perfect and sufficient, the more you change for the right reasons. As a sign of gratitude. Because we want to worship him. Because he's worthy of our holy life. That is the only way. No other change. Only when that word becomes real in here. Do you believe that? Do you have that? How about if you make this day that day in which Jesus becomes the person you treasure the most? Let's pray. Lord, we want to thank you that not only you point to the reality that we are sinful people and that our motives are wrong. We, th we thank you that not only we get to understand that everything we do flows from our hearts and that we have been affected by the things outside our hearts. We thank you, Lord, that not only you show us that that's a reality, but you show us the way in order for us to be safe and to find forgiveness and to escape the judgment of God, we thank you for Jesus, the one that stood between us and God, the one that stood as my representative, our representative, the one that took the wrath of God upon himself so we could be forgiven and accepted. Please, please make of us people that really care and protect and restrain our hearts. Not just for behavior modification, but because we want to love you. Because we want to worship you with our lives. Please make it happen.
In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Church, would you join us as we lift up our voices in this song, as we respond to the words that we just heard, as we pray this prayer over our own lives, that we would set our hearts on Jesus. Let's sing this out together. Quiet the voice of doubt again. Echo within me every promise. Let your word be louder than my fear. Speak to the void when I can't see. Lift up my head in every valley. Let your joy be greater than my grief. I have set my heart, set my set. That is the only way our heart can change him. We are set on him. 
So before we close our service, I have, I want to pray over you the blessing that we find in Numbers chapter 6. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you, be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his face upon you and give you peace. We want to thank you for being with us. We love you. We miss you. And church, remember, we are here for a reason. Church, you are sent and you are loved. Please stick around. We have some announcements for you. See you later. Thank you for worshiping with us today. I'm Michael and I serve with our creative team. Since the pandemic started, food pantries in our area have been serving more people than normal. And to meet the demand, they're asking for more donations. A few weeks ago, we hosted a food drive at our North Avenue campus and you showed up in a big way. In just a few hours, you brought thousands of pounds of food and supplies to support four area pantries. Since then, food has been distributed and we've been asked to help our community again. This Saturday, we're hosting a second food drive at both our North Avenue and Streamwood campuses. You can find the list for most needed supplies at wheatonbible.org volunteer. Pick a pantry to support and drop off those items on Saturday between 11 and three. Thank you for continuing to serve our community through this pandemic. If you're wanting to stay in the know on future volunteer opportunities, prayer nights, daily devotionals, or global missions reports beyond what we can share in service, you can sign up for a list that's right for you at wheatonbible.org newsletter. You'll get regular updates to help you stay connected and in the know. That's all for today. Thanks for spending part of your weekend with us. We hope you have an amazing week.